You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hello and welcome to another episode of Writing Black on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. I am your host, Maisha Kai, and today we are welcoming playwright, composer, and Detroit native Michael R. Jackson. His musical, A Strange Loop, has broken barriers in the metaverse as a musical about a black queer man writing a musical about a black queer man writing a musical, and has also earned a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony Award for its writer. This excerpt might explain why. With a portrait of a portrait of a portrait of a black queer face and a choir full of black queer voices travel class and also bass that are casting spells to conjure up a big black and queer as American Broadway. Big black and queer as American Broadway. Big black and queer. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Maisha. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, the theater kid in me is like geeking out over this. Um, and, I, you know, listen, this has been such an exciting year for you. I know that, you know, A Strange Loop has been in the ether for several years. But um, if I'm not mistaken, you opened on Broadway this spring and mm-hmm. brought home the Tony. Uh, your speech was fantastic. I also, you know, I got to say, I'm the lifestyle editor here at the Grio, and I love that you uh, wore a tribute to uh, Andre Leon Talley on the red carpet. So shouts on that as well with the cake. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, like, what has this been like for you this this year, this recognition, and particularly for this piece, which I know um, had some parallels with your own story? It's been really... Um affirming and validating in a lot of ways, particularly of uh, the importance of taking one's time in making a piece of art. I'd spent almost 20 years working on this musical. And, you know, there were many times when I could have just sort of hung it up, but I didn't. I kept working on it. And so to be sort of as uh, uh, validated and awarded as we've been has been really a nice testament to, you know, the importance of like, letting the art that you make take the time that it takes. You know, I love that because I think we see people, right? You know, we see people like you or any number of other names that we're, you know, we know these days and we think, oh, it's like they just came out of nowhere and it just like happened for them. But like, you know, a lot of a lot of us know that for every overnight success, there were like, you know, they were decades in the making. There were there was so much love and pain and tenacity and frustration, frustration. Right? <laughs> that went into that uh you know i mean you know not speaking for myself or anything but um you know because i i too have, have worked on a musical for a long time so i know i know uh this particular battle uh, this is also this piece you know a strange loop is unique in that it centered a hero we hadn't seen before right you know, and you open this show, you know, like, you know, from the very first number, we are introduced to this character who is American, yes, black, gay, fat, right? You, you mm-hmm. kind of like run down this gamut of like marginalization. Um, and I read. And class. And you class. Know, I, mean, some of, yes. I mean, some of it's like I went to grad, he went to grad school. That's right. He, you know all these things like it's 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 that's a, right so there's this combination on of, this sort of, exactly. of intersections you know i love that you said that yes yeah. <laughs> yes because you are uh well you know this this character went to nyu i believe you did as well right I did. and uh twice 
<laughs> Twice, exactly. <laughs> hey, Tish. Shout out to Tish. <laughs> hey, hey, Navient. Hey, Navient. Hey, City, hey, City Bank Student Loans. Yeah. Good times. Good times. I had one of those. <laughs> I still have one. I have one last one that I'm paying down. Oh, my gosh. And, and what a time to talk about that. We, we, we might need to double back mm-hmm. to that because people, again, right. the tremendous investment it takes to develop art as well. And, um, you know, so this this idea... You know, and it's so funny because because we're both theater kids, I, I had this thought to myself that I wanted to approach this interview a little differently than I typically do, which was do a little like word association, right? Mm-hmm. So here's a trigger word. You know, we talk about intersectionality a lot, right? Um, black people, we talk about it a lot. The, the phrase was popularized by black women. Um, but yeah, I just had her Kimberlake Crenshaw last you? weekend at a wedding. Did you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. OK, so. The envy yeah. is strong with this one right now. Uh, <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> but, you know, the fact is everybody's living in an intersection. I mean, everybody, everywhere, whether they want mm-hmm. to uh, recognize it or not. The onus always falls, it seems to be, on the most marginalized to discuss their intersectionality. But, like, this is such a huge part of the story. And you even poke fun at it a little bit. So, like, let, can we talk mm-hmm. about intersectionality and what that means to you at this, at this juncture? Um, you know, that's a really good question because I, I feel like um, there was a time when I sort of probably was more uh, inclined to sort of subscribe, like to using that term in terms of my own life. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but I think as the years have gone by and, and sort of things have changed for me, I'd start, I'd sort of question it a little bit because I'm finding that my experience as sort of an individual and anybody else's experience as an individual can sometimes diverge from like what we automatically assume any of our intersections mean. Right. And so I, I find it like I'm always trying to find this balance between drawing a conclusion from I am a black gay man who at whatever, 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 and like, and what my sort of individual circumstances are. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Like, I think like it's a, it's like a whole conversation. Like I don't have like a, a, a set sort of um, association with intersectionality. No, I mean, I actually love that answer. And I love the way that you took it on in a strange loop, um, which I spent quite a bit of time with recently <laughs> with the, with the music and the <laughs> words. You yeah. You know, like usually if I'm, you know, if I'm interviewing an author, you know, who's written a book, you know, I would sit here and I would read the book and take my notes. Uh, this was a different kind of project for me that really struck at my heart because I'm both a writer and a musician. And I, you know, so I, I, I sat with it. I, I've spent time with this, with this music and these words. And, um, you know, one of the ideas that I think we get, um, also from this character, and I love that you talked about intersectionality in that way, and that we're also talking about intersections of privilege, disadvantage, and even like, yes, the, what does it mean to be black when you talk about intersectionality? Because you challenge that as well, because your character has another another phrase I'm going to ask you to, to riff on, an inner white girl, which I, I'm, I have one too, or maybe a couple. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, and I'll just just to double back a little bit. Yeah. It's like I think also, 
you know, I, I mentioned sort of the class element before. It's like, I think it's there's also like regionalism mm-hmm. that sort of comes into mm-hmm. play. Like, where are you from? Right. Like, who, what kind of community were you raised from? I'm from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, but like, I'm from like a very sort of solidly, like I was used to describe myself as middle, middle class. Like I wasn't, I didn't, we didn't have that. And we, and, and I had like relatives who had less than us. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it, and I had a lot of opportunities, um, growing up in Detroit with the parents that I had, um, who had a sort of like standard middle-class jobs. Like my father was a police officer who sort of rose in the ranks and my mother was, um, a finance professional at General Motors. And so like when I, again, when I think of this sort of this, the intersectionality of it all is I have to factor all of that in there um, of like, what did that mean? Like I went to, you know, the same Baptist church every Sunday that like, you know, was a big part of how I was raised. And so that's a part of the intersection Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I went to some of the the best black schools that we had, best magnet schools in Detroit, yeah. you know, Castech, all of yo. those things are like <laughs> Cast Tech, Go Lightly Educational Center. Um, my parents sent me out of the country on exchange programs. Like I had a lot of opportunities that were both sort of usual and mm-hmm. unusual at the same time. And so I just always like, I'm, that's part of why I'm always thinking about it. But I'm sorry, the question you had asked was about... Well, I was talking about your inner white uh, girl, but you know, another word... Inner, inner but you know girl, what? Yes. We so can double white, back to that if you want. Part of that. <laughs> but, no, but, but the inner white girl, I think, is also part yeah. of that because, because my parents gave me so many uh, opportunities to, like, pursue... Because they wanted to keep me and my brother, like, away from danger mm-hmm. and away from getting, you know, wrapped up in any bad elements. So like, they're like, yes, you will go to tennis camp one summer. And yes, you'll go to vacation Bible school every summer. Yes, you will. Oh, you now you're going to do baseball. Now you're, you, oh, you want to take dance class. Oh, you like acting. You're going to be, I was in the same all city, an all city black chorus from, from like seventh grade to 12th grade. And so a lot of my love of art came because my parents just kept me busy and they let me pursue what I wanted to pursue. And as and in pursuing that, I came across a lot of music and art that I liked, such as, you know, Liz Fair, Tori Amos, Joni Mitchell and others who helped me as I was starting to come out of the closet as gay, as a teenager, as I was um, starting to try to, I want, I knew I wanted to be a writer of some kind but I was didn't I, I hadn't found my voice and listening to a lot of these women sort of really do what they did in this really excellent sort of unfiltered way opened the door of like what is possible can I do can I open can I be that vulnerable in front of people can I have that much candor can I be that raunchy can I do all of those things in my own writing and so they gave me a little you know blueprint um, to sort of follow while at the same time, you know, maintaining my own personal integrity and having my own story and background that I came from. And so that inner white girl for me is is more about that, the sort of the freedom, mm-hmm. the artistic freedom that then can in its own way become a kind of personal freedom. My voice don't get to be
in a strange loop, the line between art and life is so very thin. And and so and I see this sort of inner white girl as being a kind of abstract um, red pill, I guess, or black. Pill. I don't. I always forget which one of those <laughs> is because I, I only saw the Matrix one time. Like it's like I. It was like I like I tasted uh, an elixir and I like stepped through you know door number mm-hmm. three or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is kind of the manic pixie dream girl of this whole scenario in the sense of like being a vehicle. <laughs> For this black boy joy, because you kind of idealize and misery, well, right? <laughs> and black boy misery, fair, very fair. <laughs> you know, but like really important. Yeah, no, because <laughs> he doesn't have a lot yeah. of joy until like the only joy he really has is in creating, mm-hmm. um, as a way to like get out of life, uh, out of the sort of difficulties yeah. of life. And we'll be right back with more writing black. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back with more writing black. One of the things that I, I do think struck me about the song that you you write about this this dynamic, this dichotomy, rather, is. Um, this this idea of like this woman being fearless and and being able to express herself in ways that are not beholden to culture or beholden to your parents or beholden to all those things that I know that you know those of us who grew up in that I mean I grew up very similarly to you um, I'm sitting in Chicago as we speak so you know the whole right. and I, I was born in Minneapolis so I get it I get it mm-hmm. I you know Joni Mitchell we right here you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. I Joni Mitchell never, never lies <laughs> but yeah you know so <laughs> I that that part to me like my empathy is so strong there in terms of like this idea of what does that even mean? Like this idea of like um, a particular kind of blackness and particularly coming out of Detroit, which, you know, from a musical tradition, you know, that everybody associates mm-hmm. with Detroit and a strange loop is not that like this is, you know, I went through this as a musician where it's like, you know, this idea that as a black person, you were expected to make quote unquote urban music. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think the interesting thing, and I, I guess I haven't had a lot of time mm-hmm. to really break this down in terms of like influences mm-hmm. on the show or, or where I'm coming from, is that that's all in there mm-hmm. as well. Because the tr- like, if you listen, to, for example, to the vocal harmonies of the thoughts mm-hmm. in A Stranger Loop, that's all literally because the first music I ever heard was my parents' Motown, uh, the Philadelphia sound, all of that soul music that is like, so deeply embedded in my soul growing up playing gospel music in church you know every Sunday you know for choirs like it's all like it's that's all part of like my foundation um and so I just always like to share that with people because some people try to like get it twisted on I'm not saying that you're doing that but that on this sort of the the white girl music or, or or the urban sound I don't have any aversion really to to any of that I just I, I gravitated to what I gravitated mm-hmm. toward in this sort of search for artistic Yeah, freedom. no, I mean, I think I was more referring to the fact that, like, you know, even as, as the character Usher says, you know, this idea of, like, a black musical, like, they want to see us in a certain way, like, with our bouffant hairdos and our, you know, these jukebox mm-hmm. kind of musicals, which mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. I love a good jukebox musical. But 
coming at this right. from such an original approach of, you know, like, for instance, I, you know, I always joke. I'm like, <laughs> my partner always jokes with me. He says, you know, you, he's like, you know, more random white music than any black person I've ever met in my life. And I'm like, I'm part of the MTV generation. I'm Gen X, you know? And so I grew up in, a, in mm-hmm. an atmosphere that was equal parts Motown and Prince and R&B and hip hop. Cause that's part of that generation too. But also, mm-hmm. you know, when they wouldn't play black people on MTV and it's, so it's all like David Bowie and Elvis Costello and like, you know, all that kind of stuff too. Right. And what I love and like, exactly. And so like what I love about <laughs> in excess, right. You know, so what I love about mm-hmm. what you've done here is exactly that. Like it's, it's like taking a piece for those of us who live in that particular niche of blackness, which I actually think is, is, as you say, it's regional, but it's also generational too. If you came up, in mm-hmm. that like older millennial to you know Gen X era where you're like all these music all this music is clashing and popular culture with MTV for a lot of kids you know we come home after school and that was like our babysitter for the latchkey generation big black and queer as american broadway big black and queer as american broadway big black and queer as american broadway You know, I, I, I felt right. like you really hit on something there. But I do I do want to talk about um, I want to talk about Detroit because uh, I think, you know, again, like what an incredible um, place to come from, what an incredible tradition to come from. You know, you and I both live in cities that were, you know, products in many ways of the Great Migration in terms of its black populations. Um, and there's a lot yep. of expectations that go along with that. And your parents play a really big role in A Strange Loop as well. So, like, what was what was that like? Okay, Usher's you're right. Parents. Usher's parents. Let me not do that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Usher's parents. I, I feel like I heard you. Uh, I read where you described uh, it as them, uh, like a caricature of these parents that aren't necessarily your parents, per se. Yeah. But, yeah. There are, yeah, I mean, but also even mm-hmm. within the musical, it's his perception because he's coming from such a play, a negative space that everything that you see is just because that's the, the almost Instagram filter that he has over his brain until he realizes what he realizes mm-hmm. about himself. And so to me, all of the depictions in the piece are both his sort of quest for truth to like show what it's really like, but also what it feels, but what it really is like is what it feels like. And when you feel something is a, a certain way, it is that way. Like there's, you can't, like if you like are in a, like, like the moments when I was in my twenties and I just thought the world was like, the world is a vampire. Like that's how I felt. And as far as, and as long as I felt that way and saw through those little goggles of everything looked right. like a nightmare, like yeah, all the I mean, time. That, I mean, All right, well, we'll be back with more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere. Great podcasts are heard. All right, we're back. Let's get into it. This is a podcast that, you know, we created to really talk about what it means to bring your identity to your craft, right? And 
one of the things I think, like, mm-hmm. for me, made this such a dream to interview you was that you wrote a musical that, to me, is very much about writing, like, what this is like, <laughs> you know, what this particular mm-hmm. torturous yet inevitable, because if, you, if you're a writer, you're a writer, you just can't not do it as torturous as it can be, right? right. Um, that you somehow <laughs> managed to <laughs> bring this to the fore in terms of like what this process is actually like and how, you know, your thoughts are your enemies, they are your allies, they are your, you know, like what a what an incredible feat. So I mean, I just say that to say congratulations because like, I don't know that I've seen Thank that you. as Thank accurately you. I appreciate portrayed. That. Um, and it is relatable, right? Like people are really responding to this, not just black people, not just queer people, not just creative people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of folks. Yeah, a lot. Of, well, I think it's because everybody has their mm-hmm. own strange loop. Like they had their own way that they see things until it changes mm-hmm. or doesn't change, you know? Um, everybody has a moment in their lives when they mm-hmm. go, why did I do that? Like and it, it doesn't have to be right. about what Usher went through, but like you have this moment of like, I fucked up, and like for many moments, torturing yourself about it, <laughs> and really, for many moments, you know, the thing that you wish that what is that the the spirit on the stairs, the mm-hmm. thing that you wish that you had said, um, that French mm-hmm. that French expression, um, and so I, and that's why I think that like so many different people who are not black, fat, black, queer, whatever. Um, are able to find a way into the I mean, show. it is, it's it's opened a door, but it's also, you know, I think it's important to note that Usher is not just a creative. He's also a critic, right? <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. a critic mm-hmm. of a lot of things, but he's a critic of black, <laughs> of what we think of as black culture. Like, I, 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 mm-hmm. uh, okay, Tyler Perry, word association. <laughs> Tyler it's Perry, complicated. complicated. It is. It's complicated. You um, compared Tyler Perry he and to I have a texted. <laughs> Usher compared. You wrote it. Okay, you wrote it. But Tyler yes, Perry yes, to diabetes. Yes, okay. You okay? I was right, just channeling. Right. You right. I was just channeling. The, the muses. The just, thoughts the came muses sent you. that to okay. me to, to Usher. The thoughts came. <laughs> but also, you know, but the thing about it is it like Usher? But then, and then when he and but when he did that, what did the what did the ancestors say? Right. Who the right. fuck is you, nigga? Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's what I love about that moment is that like he's not off the hook. He like has his opinions and his little snobberies mm-hmm. and whatever here and there, and 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 his thoughts also, which are part of him. They check also him. Also, are they like check fighting him. with him about that. Of like, of, like right. how dare, of, how dare you? But he also is like, well, how dare you? Like, who the fuck is you? Who the fuck is you? And like, well, who the fuck is you? <laughs> Like they do Sharae and Marlo in South Africa. I, do. I don't know if you know the reference or not, but that's like what's happening. Like Usher is like doing is being Sharae and Marlo arguing mm-hmm. with himself mm-hmm. about Tyler, which I think a lot of people have this about whoever. Everybody has their white whale that they want to that they want yeah. to slay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think it. I think it's. I think it's fun I think too. It's I mean, fun, listen. Like you know, and interesting. Anyone can get it, right? <laughs> anyone can get it. Beyonce's not immune, Rihanna's not immune, you know, anyone can get it. All right, well, we'll be back with more Writing Black. 
Introducing Deer Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black Fashions, Black Mendations, and everything black. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, and we are back with more Writing Black. Now, you, Usher, this piece, um, have entered the very pop cultural lexicon that you, or Usher, are critiquing. And what is that like? You know, it's really, it's interesting because, again, like the thing that... I can't impress upon you or anybody enough is that I was not trying to go to Broadway. Like when I started it, like that was not ever like in my, um, cause I was like, there's no way. Like when I started working on this piece in 2003, two, like I was like, Oh, this is just something for me to get some feelings and thoughts out. And then as I, then I began to morph and change and grow into something bigger than just, what was initially my personal experience, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll get like, maybe I can, if I'm lucky, I'll get like a, a nice off-Broadway presentation somewhere. And so then when I got that, I was like, oh, that's like the ceiling. It can never be any greater than that. And so then when it started to go beyond that, like first with the Pulitzer and then uh, going to Broadway and then the Tony, like, I was like, oh gosh. And so watching it all happen i'm just like amazed because i didn't plan it it just it just i kept chasing mm-hmm. after a story and after a loop you know to try to figure something out i was only really interested in the actual artistic exploration for its own sake and then it just so happened that that then uh met up with mm-hmm. a professional opportunity which is sort of reminds me of that thing that like my high school or my middle school, like sometimes we used to always say that Oprah and everybody says is luck is when preparation (laughs) meets opportunity. And that was very true. Like I just had worked on it for so long with my collaborators. And then one day, like there was like an opportunity and we were ready to take it. As, as the elders say, you know, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Um, but, you know, but listen, oh, yeah, you know, the true. fact <laughs> is also you 20 years in the making, everybody also doesn't have doesn't get the opportunity or doesn't find that moment, you know, because, you know, we've also met a moment. I think this is true of uh, so many black talents right now who are worthy, who should be seen, who have stories to tell who have relatable stories or not relatable stories, but they're still stories worth hearing um, that we're finally Mm -hmm. in this moment, however fleeting that they're ready to be heard or people are looking for those stories. Um, Did you feel that that was happening? Did you feel that that was just kind of ancillary to what you were already doing? 
Do you mean in yeah, terms the of like the cultural climate, like you know, or yeah, I mean things becoming art, more artistic, more binary in many ways, um, and therefore more um, expressive black narratives being told. I'm just speaking of black narratives right now, but this could be true of a lot of different narratives. Um, you know, I mean, I, I we watched, for instance, in 2020, like there were books that had been out for years that all of a sudden were bestsellers, like you know, by like you know folks that I've admired right. for ages and been like, oh, look at that. Nobody saw this book when it came out three years right. <laughs> years ago, you know. Well, I mean, I guess, well, I guess, like, that's sort of where, you know, maybe I have to sit with the line, who knew that intersectionality could be so lucrative, you know? That, like, but I also think that th it's not new. I think there's, like, I went recently to the African American History Museum for the first time. I'd never been there. And I went over there over a two-day period so I could mm -hmm. see the whole main exhibit from beginning to end. And the thing I noticed is that there were lots of sort of periods where there would be all this struggle and then there would be like a burst of, of uh, yeah. for lack of a better word, renaissance. Or there would be some like, oh my gosh, there's all this like art or whatever or activity. And then there would be, right. then it would like die down. <laughs> and then there'd be more struggle and more struggle and then more renaissance. And like, and I feel like I just noticed that happens like so many times in periods in history. And so I kind of wonder if, you know, 2019, 2020 is one of those moments and whether we well, will see yeah. another sort of, yeah. Yeah. Recession, a recession, you know, um, and and but I also feel like, you know, in those moments, those are moments that like some of the artists, they either are enduring or they aren't. And I'm not saying that like that has nothing to do with their worthiness, but that 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 just seems to continue to happen. And I think that also happens in other right. communities that are not black as well. Like, you know, whatever's happening, like 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 I remember learning in college that you know, when there was sort of this existential fear of like the bomb dropping, you got like these plays that are like like waiting for Godot and and Samuel Beckett and 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 uh, you know Death of the Salesman and like there would be like there would always would be these works that sort of would like flourish in the sort of the tumult. And so I I I mean I, I kind of attribute those patterns a little bit to what you're describing while and also you know obviously black folks in particular have we've always been pushing to be heard and seen and and all of that and and i guess for me personally the question that i've started to really like plant my flag in is that or the idea is that for me being seen is not enough i want to you to think about think about my work and about what it, what is what is being seen what is being said what is being represented it's not enough for me to be like okay black writer when pulitzer tony whatever it's like what is he saying let's like t talk about the ideas inside of it and let's keep talking about those ideas let's argue about them let's compare and contrast them to others let's have there be a rich dialogue about what people think let's there be disagreements and let those disagreements flourish and start whole, you know, schools of thought, you know, like, and have many of them. All right. Well, we'll be back with more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. 
Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay, and we are back with more Writing Black. Do you want to talk about next? So my next musical is called White Girl in Danger. Um, and it sort of comes from like a childhood love of soap operas and lifetime movies and melodrama in general. And I sort of have been thinking about how I think A Strange Loop is very much um, about the concept of I. And I think that White Girl in Danger at, at its core ends up being about the concept of we. Um, and there's relationships between I and we, of course, uh, but it, it's I'm meditating on this idea of like representation, equity, diversity, inclusion. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? What happens when you follow some of those implications all the way out? Like when you like, you know what I mean? And, and seeing like sort of what happens and all of that lives inside of this sort of soap opera format, which I have a, like a deep, like, I mean, lifelong love like of. I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm, I'm more of a, like a, da- a dynasty Dallas kid, but you know, <laughs> Knott's Landing, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's all part oh, of Falcon it. Knott's Landing, yeah. That's all, no, for me, I was a no, no, no place. Yeah, you can watch it. Falcon what? Press now on Amazon for free. It, yeah, it's on, I think it's on Amazon for free because I started watching it because I'd never seen it because it was a little before my time, but um, I was like a Melrose Place kid, like Monday nights, every Monday night. What oh is Amanda gosh. and Kimberly and Jane and oh Sydney? What are they going to do? What's Michael Mancini and Peter, you know, <laughs> well, up, last Peter up to? So. You, the question I asked of all of our guests. Um, but I'm going to tell you, you had me from Hello with a Strange Loop. Um, with the Usher, 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 this urgent calling of Usher, which gave me so much of one of my favorite musicals of all time, Company, Bobby, Bobby, Baby, Bobby. Who who inspires mm-hmm. you? Who do you, who yep. who are your influences? We're going to double back to that. Who are your influences? Oh, I mean, it's so many of them. Like, um, obviously, you know, I always call my trinity um, Joni, Tori, and Liz. They're the, okay. the, the mother, the daughter, and the Holy Ghost to me. But then also, like, I'm a huge Clark Sisters fan, and that's a big influence on the music. I grew up across the street from Dorinda Clark Cole for many years. She was my neighbor growing up in Detroit. Um, I love all my Motown and, my and like, the, the Three Degrees and just all of that sort of stuff. Um, like, Ray Goodman and Brown, The Spinners. Um, and then in musical theater, um, Kirsten Child is somebody who's like so, so, so important to me. She wrote the musical, The Bubbly Black Girl Sheds for Chameleon Skin, which premiered at Players Horizons about 18 years before uh, A Strange Loop did. And it's also, it's a, it's a semi-autobiographical musical about a black girl growing up in Los Angeles during the civil rights era and into the 70s. And, it's, and it was a huge touch point stone for me while I was in the midst of developing a strange loop. So I cursed in child and, and her, and the, her music is unbelievable. So I always highly recommend checking out the cast album, um, online or wherever mm-hmm. you get music. Stu passing strange, um, was another huge, uh, touchstone for me. Bill Finn's work. Um, he was my teacher at NYU. He did the musicals falsettos and in trousers and, um, putting up the annual, Putnam County Spelling Bee. Um, Sondheim is someone who I don't count necessarily as a 
an influence, but it's definitely an inspiration because of his sort of puzzle master qualities in um, how he approaches songwriting like it's playwriting. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. There's so I take inspiration from literally everywhere. Uh, but those are well, just a few you know, I uh, people you, who I really and admire. And I'm so glad that we got to speak to you today because my, again, my musical th- theater heart is singing, singing, I tell you, because you're, you're actually our first musical theater talent on the show. And so thank you for blessing us with that. Oh, it's an honor you. for That's me so, as well. And an I can't honor. wait to see what you do next. Michael R. Jackson, thank you so much for coming on Writing Black and, and giving us all this, like, amazing energy and amazing backstory to Usher and to A Strange Loop, which is extended on Broadway, so good on you. Um, yes, yes, if you guys are in New York, yeah, come, come through. Yeah, come check it out, please. Um, and, love to have y'all. Again, Michael. And we'll be right back with more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, we're back. Let's get into it. So as always, this is the part of the show where I talk about my recommendations and what I love, typically related to our our guest on the show. Um, And I got to say, you know, one of the reasons that was so, so, so special for me to speak with Michael R. Jackson today is that there is this really interesting kind of dichotomy that exists in the American theater, which is that... um, while black people are, you know, maybe not as widely as we should be, but I think widely recognized as the architects of a lot of American music, when it comes to the American musical theater, are we are largely absent in terms of uh, credits and, um, you know, really, really being given the platforms to to tell our stories. I mean, even some of the greatest American musicals that feature black characters i'm looking at you dream girls (laughs) and a few others we're not written by black people you know inspired by but not written by black people so you know as somebody who is a profound lover of musical theater myself grew up in that tradition um so deeply admires that tradition admires uh black artistry black stories black music black acting and dancing and expression um I am always thrilled to champion uh, works uh, by black playwrights and particularly black musical playwrights because I'd love to see more people entering the space. Um, So, you know, I mean, they're out there, you know, and, 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 and beyond your big your big box musicals like, you know, The Color Purple. Shout out to The Color Purple. and the MJ musical and, and things like that, they're out there. And so I'm just going to say, if you love music and you love theater, look for your black musical theater writers. Become one if you can, um, because it is a genre that is, uh, I think, in, in, in desperate need of more of our voices. Um, there's more coming, but, uh, you know, we belong there as much as we belong in any other aspect of American music. So... That's just me, a songwriter with a dream. 
<laughs> we'll see you next time on Writing Black. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Writing Black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard.